Good evening. Good evening. It's certainly good to be back with you this evening and have the opportunity for us to worship once again. I want to thank the song leaders today and their song selections have been excellent, been very encouraging and stirring to me. The men who've led our prayers and the kind words that have been said, not only for everyone on behalf here and everyone in need, but also for me in preaching this week. Hospitality that's been shown to Deborah and I today uh, and the opening of, of, of homes and, and likewise getting to, to eat with you at, uh, over at the center. And, and uh, yes, I did go back for seconds, so you, know, you don't, have to, don't have to question that. That's probably going to happen in my life. And it was fantastic. It was delicious. I appreciate so much Glenn and Kathy having me in their home today and tonight and likewise through the through Wednesday night. Uh, yes, my car did break down this morning and we got it towed over to Glenn's house. So if I show up greasy through the week, you'll know what happened trying to get it back on the road. But it'll just be another adventure for me and we'll get it done and get it on the way. My wife will be driving home tonight. I would appreciate you praying for her and her safety. And likewise, while I will be away from my family this week, I appreciate her loaning me off and being with you during this time and being away from my family. And I appreciate the invitation that I've had from you to come and to be with you during this time. Uh, I'm prayerful that I'm going to be a blessing to you because you're already a blessing to me. And uh, we're here to stir each other up to love and to good works and to provoke each other in a way that will be godly. And hopefully we're going to continue that by studying in God's Word. And we're going to continue, continue our thoughts here tonight about, about womanhood about raising godly women, and and I want to go ahead and start at the very beginning of this and say to every person here is that I talked this morning about manhood and raising godly men and the need for godly men, and I want to say tonight unequivocally that we need godly women, that we, that we need to value a godly woman. And in our society today, and sometimes even among brethren, we don't put enough emphasis on the value of women, and that women... For, for us, certainly for every one of us here, for women within the body of Christ are absolutely crucial, special. So many times the workhorses of congregations are the women within the body of Christ. And so much gets done. They're the, to me, they're the unsung heroes uh, of the Lord's church. And we need to continually value them and tell them of their value and love them for what God has made them and for the specialness that's within that they're persons, especially those who are followers of Jesus Christ. Uh, but you know what? As we said this morning, there there are some lies. And something fell. Uh, there's some lies. There's three lies in the worldly culture about womanhood, about women. And we're going to look at those. Number one, a woman is valuable if she, if only she is outwardly beautiful. And I'll just ask the ladies here tonight, you don't have to answer out loud, do you feel some pressure to be outwardly beautiful? You're looking at me like a deer in headlights. It's okay to say that you might feel a little pressure there. We, we live in a culture that puts a whole lot of emphasis on what you look like and what women look like. And sometimes I think even as men, even as, as our husband, we may put a little bit too much emphasis on that too within the lives of our ladies and the lives of women here. And that we, we live in a culture that, to me, it's just kind of going totally overboard when it comes to valuing people, men and women, but especially women, because of how they look. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed this or not, but people get old. People get old and they begin to get wrinkly and their hair turns different colors and, you know, their body begins to look like a melting candle. You know, and things happen to you. 
Things happen to you. And you know what you, you know, you may have started off looking pretty good, but by the time we finish this thing up, you know, you're probably gonna look like you're an aged person there. We got a lady that worships with us, and Sister Betty is in her 80s, and Sister Betty looks like a woman that's in her 80s, but you know what? She is a beautiful person. And you know, when I see her and I see her smile, and you know, about the only thing Sister Betty can do now is come and sit and worship God. She's not able to do anything physically anymore. But her just being there is a beautiful thing. It is truly a thing of beauty. And it's not because Sister Betty is a pretty person, because she is in her own way. It's because of who and what she is. You know, it, it was, they did a survey. And they found out that worldwide, people could recognize the picture of Kim Kardashian over Joe Biden. They knew more of somebody who basically does nothing except sit around uh, than the person who was the second most powerful person in the world. You know, why? Why is there so much fascination with it? And we, we say, oh, you know what? You know, if you're good looking, if you're beautiful, then, you know, you're something that's more valuable than other people. Well, that's a lie. A woman is not valuable only because of her looks. And we put, sometimes, as I said, we put too much emphasis on Number two here, a woman must be liberated in her sexual life. And once again, this is a sensitive topic. I apologize up front if I offend anyone with this. I really do. But people are going to say, well, you know, unless you can go live your life in sexual freedom and do whatever you want to do, then you're not living your life to the fullest and you're not really a woman. A lot like what we talked about this morning about men. I don't know if you know who Margaret Sanger is. Margaret Sanger was the founder of what we know today as Planned Parenthood. Now, it wasn't Planned Parenthood when she started it. But Margaret Sanger said some extraordinary things within her life. And one of the things she said, and she had a hatred for the Catholic Church, and I'm not a Catholic, I'm not advocating the Catholic Church, but she hated the Catholic Church because she said that the Catholic Church had made women slaves to their own bodies. And that was because they were forced into bearing children. And so she wanted women to be free from childbearing, the necessity of bearing a child. And so she worked to bring about birth control available, even at that time, to women and to make sure that women would no longer have to put emphasis on bearing a child to be a woman. You say, well, Sam, what does that have? How does that affect us today? Well, it affects the fact that since Roe v. Wade in 1973, 55 million children, unborn children have died. And it began with the work here of Margaret Sanger. And that she was responsible for liberating the idea that we should no longer value women and men, boys and girls, if it inhibited my sex life. Number three, woman has to succeed outside the home to be complete. So a woman has to be successful. She has to have a career. She has to be working outside the home. How many, ladies, how many of you who don't work outside the home? And, what, and by the way, I'm not going to tell you tonight that it's wrong or sinful if you're working outside the home. Uh, I don't believe that. I think if you look at Proverbs 31, you're going to find a woman there who was extraordinarily industrious, entrepreneurial, and that she had a lot of things that were going there to help her family. Uh, at the same time, the emphasis now has become, well, if you don't succeed in your education, if you don't succeed in working outside the home, if you don't succeed in being able to take care of yourself without a man, then you're not going to be successful. You're not really a woman. You haven't lived up. How many times, ladies, have you ever heard somebody say to me, when you're staying at home or staying at home and raising your children, your children, and they say something to this effect, is that all you do? Is that all you do is stay home and raise children? 
Yeah. Well, I'm here to tell you, my friends, that staying home and raising your children in a godly fashion will be the most important thing you will ever do. But our world doesn't see that as important. It sees that you have to have some type of success record or some type of bank account or some type of 401k, and you can take vacations where you want to, and you don't have to worry about anybody in your life because you've succeeded. You've arrived. Right? That's an illusion that doesn't really exist. Yeah, you can have those things, but I'll tell you what, you can have those things and be the most empty human being in the world. And we have a lot of ladies nowadays in, in the world, people who are not godly people, who are saying, you know what? We think we've made the wrong decision. We've traded for the wrong things. We, we've got all these things that everybody said we ought to have. We have the success. We've got the power. We've got the prestige. Uh, we, you know, we burst through the glass ceiling. But I want a family. I want a, I want a family life. I want children. You know why? Because that's the way God made them. The way God made women. And you know what? He made them in a specific way. God made women in a specific way. Take out your Bible and turn to Genesis, the second chapter. Genesis chapter 2. In verse 20 it says, So Adam gave names to all cattle, to the birds of the air, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper comparable to him. If you look at this story about Adam and, and God placing him into the garden there and he had a work to do. We talked about that this morning. And that he was given a job also here of naming. He brought all the animals. He named all the animals. I tell you what, Brent, that was probably a pretty, pretty insurmountable job. That was a big job. For him to name all the animals. But I've often thought about, you know, Adam naming the animals and the animals come through there. You know, you see an alligator come through and, and he had to see there's, there's a male alligator and there's a female alligator that's coming through. Okay, there's a male and female, you know, that's the husband and wife alligator. And then there's an elephant that's got to come through and he says, you know, there's a man elephant and there's a female woman elephant. He sees those come through and, you know, he's got to see the, 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 Maybe the great gorillas come through. He sees there, you know, there's a male gorilla and there's a female gorilla. He's got to watch all this parade that's got to go through there. And he's got to name all these animals. And he gets to the end of that line. And he looks around and he says, where's mine? You know, I saw a match for every other animal except for me. But for Adam... There was not found a helper comparable to him. And the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept, and he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh in its place. Then the rib which Lord, the Lord God had taken from the man, he, he made into a woman. And he brought her to the man. And, and Adam said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And they they shall become one flesh. And they were both naked. And the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. God made a woman from from a rib. Ladies, I want to tell you tonight. (laughs) You're ribs. Okay, You're all ribs. You're all the product of the rib out of the first man. You're all part of the side of the first man. Every one of you. And this, he says, there was not a helper comparable to him. You know, that word helper there is the word easer within the text. And that word is used more times to describe God 
as a helper than any other thing. Let me repeat that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of fascinated by this for a second here. That word is used to describe God, not people, God as our helper. Over and over and over and over again. Turn to the Bible to John the 15th chapter. John chapter 15. You know, I have passages that I love and that are favorite. You probably say, well, Sam, you ought to be loving all the God's Word. You're absolutely right, but there are things that are favorite within God's Word. I love these passages where Jesus is preparing the disciples for his coming death and likewise his victory over sin. But in John the 15th chapter, starting in verse 26, he says this, But when the Helper comes, guess what word we're talking about here? But when the Helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Jesus spoke about the Holy Spirit as being a helper. Someone who's going to come and to help them to do certain things. God made a woman to be a helper for mankind, for man. Uh, I asked Deborah last night, would she mind if I talked about her today? And she said, no, what are you going to say? <laughs> you know, that, that kind of straightened me up right there. My wife is an excellent helper. I'll be working on something, no matter what, what that it is, and she, she comes along and she wants, and I, she comes out there and she begins to help me do what I'm doing. You say, well, how is she such a good helper? Well, first off, she surveys what I did, what I'm doing, what I'm trying to accomplish. What, what's your goal? What are you trying to accomplish? Secondly, she sees what will I have to do next? within that process. And then she'll look and say, what will you have to have in a way that I can aid to do what you are doing? And then she will try to anticipate what I will need next. Now, for many years, my wife was a surgical assistant. She worked for oral surgeons. And so she learned a lot of skills doing that. But you know what? She had those skills before she ever went to work for oral surgeons, which made her an excellent technician. But I tell you what, it made her a better helper in my life. And it's not just the physical things that we do. It's the spiritual things that we do. It's the things that we do for the Lord in Mount Washington. Being that helper, being that person who knows what you're trying to accomplish, what tools you're going to need, how will I be able to aid you, anticipating what's going to be coming next. That's what it means to help somebody. My dad, on the other hand, is not such a good helper. My dad's almost 80 years old. I love him dearly. He and I's brains work in different ways. Now, we work together and we get things accomplished, but we, we, we think about things there. We say, well, Sam, are you, are, you, you know, are you knocking on your dad? No, I'm not. I'm just saying that the way my wife and I work together and the way my father and I work together are different. God designed a woman to be a helper. That's what he designed her to be. Have you ever noticed, fellas, that our wives take what we give them and they make more of it? Have you ever noticed that? Now, when we're talking about a child, a man gives seed, and then a woman makes a child. And not only makes a child, she carries the child, and then she can feed the child. You know what? If we give a woman an apartment or a house, she makes it into a home. It becomes far more than it would have been if I was the one taking care of it. If, if I give my, my wife a bag of groceries, she makes supper. 
And she does it well. Can you, can you, you see where I'm going with this here tonight? Is that everything we end up giving a woman becomes more. That's always been God's design. And he made that as a blessing within our lives. That she would be that helper. If you would go back to the passage in John, that the Holy Spirit was coming as a helper to uh, these ancient brethren, the apostles in Christ. He was going to guide them into all. He was going to bear witness of who Jesus was within their lives. If we continue on in the passage through verse 7, verse 16, 7, these things I have spoken to you that you should not be made to stumble. They will put, they will put you out of the synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God service. These things, and these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. These things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. But now I go away to him. You know, Jesus is going to go away. He's going to ascend to the right hand of God. He's going to be away from the apostles. I'll ask you the question, which is better? For Jesus to have stayed or to Jesus to have gone away? The answer is what you, what you might not think. It was better for Jesus to go away. You know why? Because he was going to send a helper. And this helper wouldn't just be in one place. It would be in every Christian. The Spirit of Christ is going to come to dwell with all of the early church. And so that he would literally be everywhere. How many times when you talk about moms and dads, we talk about moms and talk about them raising our children, and somebody says, you know, if your kids are quiet for a little while, what's mom going to do? She's going to wonder what you're up to, isn't she? Somebody ever say, it's like mom's got eyes in the back of her head. She knows what's going on. She knows what's happening in her house. She knows where, she knows her children. She knows what is happening. You know what, I tell you what, God Almighty and the Holy Spirit and His Son are far more insightful even than our moms and our wives. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For I do not, if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. The helper as the Holy Spirit was to the advantage to be sent to the apostles. The helper that was given to mankind in the persons of of womanhood is to our advantage today. It is exactly why a woman was made there to help him work, to help him obey, to help him with the birth, to help to raise a family, and likewise to help in the leadership, to help in submission to the leadership of the home. Secondly here tonight, womanhood is about professing godliness. Professing God. Turn if you would to 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. 1 Timothy 2, 9 and 10. In like manner also that the woman adorn the women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing, but which is proper for women professing Godliness with good works. Did you catch it in there in verse 10? Women are to be professors. They profess something. And we have women here who are helpers, but we also have that women are to be professors. 
they profess. They're professing godliness. They're professing godliness with good works here. If you back up in that passage, you back up in that passage, it kind of knocks in the head that, that first lie that we talked about, about the outward beauty. He says, in like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel with propriety and moderation, not with braided hair or gold or pearls or costly clothing. You know, the instruction of the Holy Spirit through the pen of Paul of long ago was saying to women, this is not about your outward person. It's about your inward person. So we help to raise godly women. We help them, we teach them, we train them to be helpers. When we're raising godly women and raising our daughters, we're going to train them up to profess godliness and we're going to profess through good works. But we're also going to say, you know what? what what's important in your life it's not what's on the outside of your person. What's important in life is what's on the inside of your person. What's important in life is what's going on in your heart. What's important in life is what you're putting into your heart. What's important in life is how you can take what's in your heart and bring that out to the world that's around about you. That is what will make you beautiful. That's that inward, that, that, that ornament of the heart that Peter talks about that is so precious in the sight of God that we teach to our children, we teach to our, our babies, we teach to children at the age of Hattie. You know what? What's important is what's inside of you. It's not what you're going to look like with your hair or your jewelry or the clothes that we got at the mall. I don't care what your schoolmates say. And I don't care what your boyfriend says. And I don't care what the magazine says. This is what God's Word says. Thirdly here tonight, womanhood is, is learning to love husband and family more than self. Turn if you would to Titus, the second chapter. Titus chapter 2. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. One more time. That they admonish the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet, chaste, homemakers, good, obedient to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. You know, we've looked at the ordered life so far of a godly woman. She's drawing attention not to herself but to her God. She draws attention not to the adornment of body, but of heart. She draws attention to purity, not immorality. She draws attention not to body, but to soul. And she's a woman that knows how to love. We may think, well, you don't have to teach people how to love. Yes, you do. You have to teach people what it really means to love another person. What's love mean to you? What's love mean to me? Somebody says, you know, I love you. We, we use that word so carelessly. Love. What do you love? If I told you tonight I love Snickers, would you believe me? Sonic Blast? Pizza Hut Pizza? And then I say, well, by the way, honey, I love you too. Isn't it weird how we kind of jumble things into categories when it comes to loving things? You know, I love a pair of shoes. I love a car. You know, I love America. 
I love my kids. But what about this kind of love? Now, the word love here is, is family love. It's phileo. To love your husband. To really love someone as family. What does that mean? You know what it means to me? It means you're going you're gonna to sacrifice a lot of things for that person. That's what it means to me. You're going to give up things that you could have if you were single. You're going to give up some freedoms. You're going to give up some possessions. You're going to give up time. You're going to give up some luxuries. You're going to give up some privacy because you love your family. You love your husband. That's what we, we, we learn. We, we're learning how to love as Christ has loved us. We're learning that we learn how to sacrifice for greater things. That these things are greater than those things I gave up. Far greater than that. Learning how to, to love my family, my children. You say, well, well we, all, we all know how to love our children. No, we don't. There are lots and lots of moms who don't even love their unborn children. There are lots of moms who give up their children in the, because they don't want them. They're, they're, they're moms who abuse their children. They're moms who, who don't take care of their children. They don't teach their children. What does it mean for me to love my children? That means you're going to value them like God values your children. You're going to learn to see them as precious, and you're going to learn to, to show them that care, that nurturing, you know, the, the, all the crazy things that you have to do when you love a child. You'll be getting up with them in the middle of the night when they're sick and they're throwing up and you're cleaning up after them. You'll be holding their hand when they're crying when someone hurt their feelings. You'll be, you'll be holding your emotions in check when you, you put them into time out because of their disobedience and you're in the waiting game between them and you. Yeah, I told you about Sean this morning, my son, who uh, is 6'5 and 300 pounds today. And, and, but I tell you what, when he was growing up, that... That child had a will of iron. And you could have spanked him. And by the way, I am for spanking because the Bible is for spanking. You could have spanked him, I think, until you killed him. And I'm not exaggerating. He wouldn't have done a bit of good. That, that's just the way. It's just how hard-headed that he was. He had a hard head and he had a hard rear end, too. That's what the problem was. And uh, we had to find some inventive ways to discipline Sean. And one, some of those ways involved us ignoring him when he acted up and out. Or us making him where he couldn't move, or where he couldn't do what he wanted to do. And it would have been a whole lot easier to go on through that quick corporal punishment than to sit there and wait out the will of your child. But brethren, that's love. That's loving your child enough to discipline, to train their soul. And that's what Deborah did. And that's what I did. That parents, that moms, that wives... Learn how to love husbands. You know, what's it mean to love your husband? Husband always does the right thing. He always says the right thing. He always makes all the right decisions. He always comes home and remembers everything that's important within your life. Always listens to you. Right, ladies? This is no. Say no now. We'll all be telling the truth. We're all truthful here tonight. All right. No. Absolutely no. And what do you do? You love them anyway. That's what you do. It's not easy. This love that we're talking about here. That's what real women do. And you know what? We adore real women. We really do. 
You ever see those guys on the sidelines, you know, on the foot in a football game? You know, you got these big bad athletes. I'm telling you what, I wouldn't want to cross them in a dark alley. And these fellows could probably do anything that they want to. And here comes the camera along, panning along. And the first thing they got to tell everybody, you know, if they're number 27 in the nation, we are number one, by the way. We are number one. All right. And then they're going to talk to somebody while they're on camera. And who will it be? Hi, Mom. I'm still waiting for somebody to say, hi, Dad, watching those cats. It's always, hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. You know. We gotta say hello to mom. Why? It's because a loving mother, and I guarantee they had to be tough to bring up those guys to do what they had to do and to go to all those practices and to make sure that they kept their grades up and to make sure they had a life and keep telling them you can do it and you'll be the person that you ought to be. They have a respect for a mother that had tough love for them. Being a real woman. Loving your husband and loving your babies. You set the stage for your husband to go to heaven and for your babies to go to heaven. That's real love. And all this stuff is just stuff. And you see it for exactly what it is. You know, I've already had some things said to me uh, in just a few short hours here about this congregation, and I had the same thing happen to me the last time I was here about that we have good parents here at Lakeside. Good, godly, young parents. What a blessing. And I hope I am fueling your fire tonight that you keep on parenting and being those good, godly parents. They're going to raise up a generation of warriors for Jesus Christ. Because that's what godly women do. If you would go ahead and take out your songbook and turn to our song of encouragement. I hope that you don't have the image that my family is perfect. Or that my children are perfect. Or that I am perfect. Or Deborah is perfect. Because we are not. We're not perfect. We're far from it. All three of my children are faithful Christians. And they are good, in my opinion, they are good people. But they're not perfect people. And they didn't have perfect childhoods. We weren't perfect parents. We worked hard at it, but we weren't perfect. And our children went through struggles in their lives. Some pretty serious struggles. And we had to keep coming back to one thing, and that was our faith in God. You know, our lesson night's about about women and about raising up godly women. I have a daughter. Her name is Shara. And Shara, when she was in high school, and I hope you're all listening right now, Shara, when she's in high school, went through a horrible time. And 
She got involved in some things she shouldn't have been involved in. She got involved in sin. Things that were addictive. And she became suicidal. And we even had to hospitalize my daughter. We had to take Shara out of high school. And she stayed home with me every day. And Shara lost her faith along the way. And I told her one day, she told, I said, do you believe in what? She said, no, Daddy. And this is what I told her. I said, I know you don't believe, but I'm going to believe for you. And I'm going to fight for you. And so we did. Because I knew the value of my child's soul. And I knew that with God's help, she was going to be a godly person. Now today, my Shara is healthy and happy and faithful to God. She has a special gift for reaching out to people in life who have no friends. And she can touch their lives in ways I haven't seen other people do that. Because I think in a certain sense, she somehow knows how that feels. I know a lot of young ladies, a lot of young women go through a lot of doubts in their lives and a lot of struggles in their lives, and a lot of pain in their lives. And she took that and she turned that around. And my share also is capable of saying the tough things. She can use tough love on you. She will tell you exactly how it is for your benefit. And I've seen that turn people's lives around. I thank God I have a beautiful daughter in my life. I thank God more that I have a beautiful, godly daughter in my life. Shara chose a man to marry. And she chose somebody. I didn't. Th- I never thought she'd marry somebody like this. And I'm not saying this in any negative way. But she, she married a man because he was most importantly good hardworking, and loved her. She didn't really look at a lot of other things. She looked at the important things in somebody to marry. And she made a good choice. She made a good choice. And I told him, I'm going to tell you something, son. Sheriff Fowler is the best thing that ever happened to you. He said, I know. Godly women are precious. May we always value them, love them, strengthen them, and help them in every way that we can. Tonight's lesson is not about becoming a Christian. Tonight, if you are considering that this evening, please, please do not delay. You're not a child of God this evening. If you still are living in your sins, if you die tonight, God forbid, but if you die tonight, you will be eternally separated from God. If you're a child of God and you're unfaithful and you know that you're not faithful to God, if you die this evening in your sins, you will be eternally separated from God. Please, if you need to respond this evening, the blood of Christ stands ready, the waters of baptism stand ready to wash you your sins away. The blood of Christ stands ready to forgive you of your sins. 
You can respond this evening. Why don't you do so while we stand and while we sing?